Luke 15. Said we are going into a classic passage. Spoiler alert: it's the prodigal son. So it's one of the most beloved passages. Easily one of the most famous. Even if you don't know your Bible, you've probably heard something of a prodigal son or even heard the phrase, oh, that's the prodigal child. We're into that passage. And we got to cover all of Luke 15, but I love it. Again, I hope you see it afresh and don't just, oh, yeah, prodigal son. I want you to step back and see what God has for you this morning as we're going to cover all of Luke 15. So we got a lot to cover, so let's dive right in. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I told you we're going to cover all of 15. I stopped after two verses, so y'all are in trouble. So focus, all right? All right, here's the deal. Here's where I want to stop right now. Because again, you get familiar with that passage, but you got to understand the context. To understand, con- you know, to understand something, context is king. How many times has somebody misunderstood and you say, oh, no, no, that was taken out of context? And how often do we do that with scriptures? We get them to say whatever we want because we rip them out of their original context. You've got to stop and say, okay, what was the setting for the prodigal son? See, these Pharisees are questioning Jesus' approach to ministry. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And particularly, I want you to notice the context of who's there. That's a huge part of the crowd. Who's he talking to? You have sinners and Pharisees. They're both hearing this. And that's important to understand these two groups to understand the parable. You kind of have these dirty sinners and Patriots fans over here, these kind of nasty people. And then over here, you have the really good religious folks who try not to cuss and drink and go to church a lot. And these are kind of the two groups you have, these sinners and the uber-religious. And that is the context. See, if the parable is the answer, you got to step and ask, okay, what was the question? That's what the context is, all right? Let's dive into it as these two groups of sinners and Pharisees, the religious folks, are listening. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my, of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I want to stop there, kind of dive into the middle of the story. Again, so much of it, don't just, oh yeah, I know how this goes. Do your best to put yourself in this story. I mean, one, we need to step back and understand just the absolute bold, brazen ass that this younger son went to his father. This wasn't just a family business, hey, can I cash out some equity? This is him going to his father and asking for his inheritance. Even in this culture, is even stronger 
But just wrap your head around this. When do you get an inheritance? When your parents die. I mean, think about what he's saying to him. This is essentially, can you imagine going to your father and say, you know what? I can't wait till you die so I can get my hands on all your money. In fact, you know what? Why don't we go to that? Why don't we just kind of pretend you're dead and then that way I can cash out now? To go to your dad, to look him in the face and say, you're dead to me. I'd rather have your stuff than you. Go ahead and give me my inheritance. I mean, the Greek in there, it's not even just his property. He's asking for a portion of him. I mean, how shocking is that? Imagine that. And this is master storytelling. There's a lot of kind of twists and turns. And part of it, I don't know what's more shocking, that ask or the fact that the father does it. We get amazed at the father kind of as the story progresses. This is just as amazing. I mean, the impatience of the son met with the perfect patience and faithfulness of the father. I mean, their inheritance was, you know, passed down through property. They had to sell property. This is like, all right, well, you know, throw a Howard Hanna sign out. The dad downsizes so he can give the son this money. This is crazy. It's shocking that he does it. I mean, you'd almost expect, you know, you imagine a proud patriarch of this time, your son comes and is like, hey, I'd rather pretend, you know, you're dead. I'm like, boy, if I get my hands on you, we won't have to pretend you're dead. I'm going to wring your neck. You know, like you'd almost expect, you know, and that really would be. I mean, he would beat this, get out of my house. How dare you? But he honors the request. He gives him all the money, and this young man does what you expect, says he goes off into this far-off land. Now, scholars disagree, but I'm pretty sure it was Cancun, right? Like, that's the vibe we're getting. It may be Panama City, but, like, that's kind of what we're looking at here. I mean, he goes off, and it says, involved in reckless living. Now, if you study the Greek for that, it's, it's the, where we get our, you know, making it rain from. Like, that's what happened. Like, he went, and he hit the clubs. This dude was drunk and high, and that's the, the picture we get. I mean, dude made it rain, and he just went off in wild living. You imagine how much this guy's sleeping around? I mean, he had to be high about this whole time having fun, spending all this money, you know, rents a condo down at Cancun, partying it up, and then a famine hits, which I find is interesting. He ends up in this desperate place, right? But some of that's his fault and some things you can't control. This famine hits, and we all think that, no, I can control that. I can control my addiction. I can whatever. But then a famine hits, and he gets desperate. And you see the difference too, right? I mean, we kind of have this idea, I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to live it up. And he probably had some fun, but he clearly wasn't fulfilled, right? And how much is that true in our life? You're chasing pleasure, but you're not actually experiencing peace. You're just kind of numbing yourself. And that's how it is oftentimes when we pursue sin and pleasure. And trust me, it will catch up with you. You think it'll be fun to just go kind of wild out and live this life. It's all fun until you drop out of college, you're living in your parents' basement, and it catches up with you. I mean, you're spouse finally leaves, whatever it is, and now he finds himself, it says, working with pigs, wishing to eat the pig's food. Now again, culturally, you got to understand some things. I mean, for us, I don't want to steal Rick's bacon thunder joke, but for us, pigs are a beautiful animal, you know? They produce wonderful things for our lives, but you got to understand, for a Jew, you you think of those old kind of Old Testament laws, you think of even kosher laws today. 
This would have been so low for him to stoop to work with pigs. As a Jew, that would have been just totally abandoning his heritage, losing his identity. It couldn't have got any lower for this guy to go and work with pigs. You know, I was trying to think about you know, how can we relate to that because we don't connect with that as much. You know, it's like this dude's party and he's going out to the clubs, he's going out, you know, to concerts, and then the best job he can get is at one of the concert venues cleaning out like the porta potties. Like, it, I know, some, some of you are like, oh, that's the point. That's what they'd have heard. Like, ew, like whatever that blue liquid is, like all up on his shoes. Like, it's just gross. Like, that's where he's at. He's cleaning out porta potties, gets out one of the porta potties and sees a corn dog sitting on the ground. He's like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, I got some of the blue stuff on it, you know, like that's where, that's where he's at. Now we're laughing, ha, ha, like that's really where this guy is. He was starving to death that he was going to start eating trash. Looks in the mirror and just doesn't even recognize himself. I mean, you imagine what this guy felt like and then he decides he's going to go back to his father. Now, look at best case scenario. What did this kid hope for? He wasn't, you know, this arrogant punk anymore. Oh, my dad will take me back. He still has some money, even though I, you know, spoiled all my inheritance. Best case scenario, here he is cleaning porta potties, porta johns, and he's thinking, well, maybe I can just go and clean my dad's toilets. At least he'll give me a fair wage so I can eat. Like, best case scenario, he'll be one of his dad's servants, and he decides, I'm going to go back home. Now, think about this. Some of you have strained relationship with your parents. I mean, you imagine the anxiety thinking about that first meeting after years, after you spit in his face. I mean, you couldn't give him a bigger middle finger, and then you're going to go walk back, and you're going to grovel and ask for mercy. As a pastor, I've gotten to watch families reconcile that have been apart for years, and I've heard people process that anxiety. Imagine what he's feeling on that journey back. How many times did he recite this speech in his head? Father, I've sinned. Can I even call him father of sir? Just the whole time back, chewing over, what is he going to say? Is he even going to answer the door? Or is he going to say, beat it after what you've done to me? You're going to come begging. Get out of here. He's running through all those scenarios. So many of us, I think, run through those scenarios too as well. What's he thinking? After what I've done, will my father take me back? And how many people have sat in here, how many people have gone through that? After all I've done, what is God going to think of me when I try traipsing back to church? And I want you to know this right here, this next section is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Anytime someone is in that place of fear and shame, I always take them to this passage. So in that place of fear and shame, but knowing you need your father, and if you're sitting in that place, I want you to hear the heart of the father towards you. Listen to this. But while he was a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father had none of it. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is how God feels towards you. And all your shame wondering, will God take me back? Can God really love me after what I've done? I want you to see God's heart for you. He is just waiting for you to come back to him. And he runs to his boy. And again, you got to understand, culturally, men, proud men in this culture, didn't run. It was undignified. And again, probably more equivalent for us would be like the dad, this older gentleman just got done showering. He's got a towel on, and he's like running down the street in his towel to go see his boy. That's probably, you know, a better idea of what's going on. After all those years of this father praying and worrying about his boy, after all those years, he sees his boy coming down the driveway. And I just love this picture, this dad running. I mean, you see him in there of, it's Jimmy, hey, he's back, and he just sprints. And he picks his boy up, and it says he just throws himself on his neck. I want you to know that is how God feels about you. And I don't care what you've done. If you repent and come back home, God will embrace you and wrap his arms around you. I pray that for you this morning. That you would literally just feel God's arms wrap around you this morning. And I don't care what you've done. This is how God feels about you. If you would just repent and come home. Beautiful picture. You're feeling vulnerable. And it says he will wrap his robe around you and provide for you. He puts a ring on his hand that's probably the family signet. This is saying that you are back. I'll just be your servant. And he said, what are you talking about? You're my boy. You're back. You're my son. There's no half measures. This is God just showering, the father showering his love on his son. Put shoes on his feet. Slaves were barefoot. And he's saying, no son of mine is a slave. You put, feet, you put shoes on my boy's feet. I love this quote. The father, he was thinking of his son all along. His love for the son was constant and the pain of his departure was real. His forgiveness is total and immediate. There are no grudges. The past pain has been washed away in the waves of joy at his son's return. I want you to know that's how God feels about you. If you've been rebelling and walking away, I don't care what you've done. God is longing and waiting for you to return. All right, so that is the prodigal son. If you're keeping track of time, you're like, does he just finish 15 minutes early? You're crazy. I'm taking all my time. I'm not stopping early. Here's the deal. In the prodigal son, in the Bible, in God's word, like all of that is inspired by God. But you know translators came later and add verses, and they also added those subheadings. So in most of your Bibles, it'll probably say that the prodigal son above it. Those were added later. Those weren't inspired by God. And for the most part, they're just helpful, right, to find, hey, prodigal son, where's that? That's Luke 15. You can see the heading. In this case, I think they've failed us. Because this isn't a story just about the prodigal son who went off to Cancun and lived it up. How many groups of people were listening to Jesus during this story? 
Say it. I got my fingers out. How many? All right. How many sons did this guy have? Two. So the story doesn't end there. Now, that's a beautiful part of the story, but that's just act one. And it is beautiful. I don't care where you are. If you come back to him, God will wrap his arms around you. God will love you unimaginably and celebrate over your return. But the story doesn't end there. We actually started it in the middle, so I want to carry it out to the end. It continues. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So as the story goes, the prodigal son comes home, the brother finds out, and he's out in the fields, ticked. Now, some of you are older brothers. Some of you are, raise your hand if you're the oldest of your siblings in your home. All right? So put your hands down. You actually feel for this guy, right? Like, this makes a lot of sense. The oldest is out in the field like, oh, really? Golden Child's back. Good. Cool. I'm glad the favorite's back home. Let's throw a party. Let me get the calf for you, because Mr. New you know, can do no wrongs home. Good, 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 good. <laughs> right? So for all of y'all oldest, like I need you to take your daddy issues and hit pause for like 10 minutes, all right? I'm going to need like 10 minutes for you, all right? Because it makes sense. But here's the deal. Now, notice some beautiful things in the story, right? So what happens? The younger son comes home and the dad interrupts him with his love. Now the father comes out trying to love the son and he interrupts him with his self-righteousness. Right, The father goes out to entreat him, and he cuts him off. Disrespectfully, did you notice that? He didn't say, oh, father. He just says, look. And then he goes into his big charade. And this is actually where it got really interesting to me. Because, again, we all know the middle part. You know, Generally, if you've been raised at church at all, you've heard this beautiful homecoming story. But this is actually where it got fascinating to me. Because I think if we're honest, many of us, we actually all of us are both on some level. But I think there are more older brothers in here than we care to admit. Here's where it gets fascinating. He goes off and he's railing at the dad. How come I never got a calf? I want to have a party with my friends. Doesn't that sound like the worst party ever? Like this dude, I don't, I don't want to go to that party. But you get the point. He wants a, a goat from his dad and then he's ticked and says how good he is. Here's what a big part of I think Jesus is doing here. There's a famous story where Jesus goes in the temple and flips tables. Have you ever heard of that? This is like the equivalent. This is just as shocking. It's like Jesus is taking the tables of religion, the tables of everything we knew, and just flipping them upside down. Because what is he telling us in this wild story? 
We all know the prodigal son is lost, but what do you find out moving on? So's the older kid. The good kid, the religious kid, he's just as lost as the prodigal. And that's where, again, we read the prodigal son, oh, that's so sweet, he comes home. Most of that crowd, those Pharisees, they're scoffing. And now we get to that point of everybody's shocked. I mean, even today, you look at the world. You got a, bunch, a group of a bunch of sinners and some kind of religious folks. I mean, who is right with God? Even the sinners would be like, yeah, I don't know, probably don't look good for us, you know? I mean, all of us would say, I don't know, it doesn't look good for the sinners and the religious folks, even though they're judgmental, nobody likes them, they probably got a little bit better shot, right? Jesus is flipping those tables and saying, look, both are lost. That's a huge part of the key. But you think, oh, I'm a good person, I've gone to church, me and God must be okay. But notice the older brother is outside. The father has to go and invite him to come in. Both are lost. Both need an invitation. I love that. The father's embrace of the younger son, but even the father's tender invite to the older brother. Think how that story could have went. You as a dad, on the greatest day of your life, your son comes home. The son you thought maybe was dead, didn't know where they were, finally comes back home. And then you find out one of your kids is off sulking in the field. I mean, how would you have handled that? The servant told him. I probably would have told that servant, like, you go get that boy and tell him, get in here, I'm going to wring his neck. But notice, he doesn't send a servant. The father goes out to the oldest and still invites him to come in and celebrate. It's like, look, buddy, the sun is out, the grill is hot, the pool is Luke. If I can interest you in a BBQ and a swim, like, let's make this happen. Why are you out here sulking? Let's celebrate. They're both lost. You know the similarity, too. What did they both want? It's the same, it's, you know, the same coin, two sides of the same coin. What did the younger son want? He wanted the father's stuff. What did the older son want? He wanted the stuff, he wanted things from the father. The only difference is they had a different way of getting it. One, just rebelliously, was gonna live their life how they want. What was the older brothers? Well, I'm gonna be good and I'm gonna earn God's love. Neither of them were connected to the father, hence that, son, I've always been here. They were just trying to get stuff from God in different ways, one from rebellion, one from religion, but both are lost. Both just trying to use the Father, trying to use God for their own selfish means. Here's the scariest part of the story, and this is the Pharisees would have heard, and I hope you do as well. I think the main difference, they're the same approach. I mean, they're, the, they're going after the same thing with different approaches. You know the main difference between the two? One knows they're lost and the other doesn't. If you're living this wild life of sin and rebellion... You think, oh, surely, man, God can never take me back. But yet, you could be religious, trying to be a good person, and you are just as lost as that drug dealer on the street, but you don't know it. That's the scary part of the parable. That son thinks he's okay. I have this. God owes me this. And you see that invite of son. Come in. Enjoy fellowship with me. And I've seen it. Even being raised Catholic, I've felt it. 
How many of us are just older brothers thinking, oh, I'm a good person. God, you know, why don't you give me this? Why, how, you owe me this. So you need to really kind of check your heart. Have you really made peace with God? Just like the younger son, you need to repent and come to your father. Make peace with God, but you don't think you have to. Is that you? Now, one of the ways to know, I mean, it is self-righteousness. One needs to repent of the things that they have done. The other needs to repent of why they're doing what they're doing. For me, I was an older brother. See, all my siblings, they were rebellious, and I was trying to earn God's love and other people's loves by being the good kid. So really, my life didn't change a ton when I finally came to Christ, but the reason for everything I did completely revolutionized. I wasn't trying to earn God's love, trying to prove to other people of my worthiness. So you need to repent of why you're doing what you're doing. Are you self-righteous? You want to know if you're an older brother, one of the biggest tells, and if I never hear this again, I'll be a happy person. It makes me want to vomit every time. If you're sitting here today and thinking to yourself that you're a good person, you're probably an older brother. And you're most likely lost. You know how many times I hear that from people? Oh, why were you going to get into heaven? Well, I'll try to be a good person. I think I'm a good person. I'm trying. That's self-righteousness. You think that you have earned God's, you've, apart from God, you've proven that he owes you this. You always, self-righteous people always think they're not getting what they deserve. When life doesn't go your way, do you think God isn't being fair to you and God owes you something? Do you exaggerate your own goodness? You notice that in the story? I have never disobeyed one of your commands. Oh, really? Yeah, in 20 years, you've never made a mistake? And then you notice it says he ups it to prostitutes with his younger brother. Do you exaggerate other people's sins? Do you think you're a good person? You look at the world and feel like other people are dirty sinners. You judge other people, exaggerate their sin, and you exaggerate your own goodness. There's a chance, more than you realize, you're just an older brother. One deals with rebellious sin. The other brother deals with religion and self-righteousness. And you both, both of them need to repent. Do you realize you're lost? Are you going to let go of this, you know, I'm so good and I'm going to earn God's love and finally come home? The Father invites both of them tenderly. I hope if that's you, you come home and repent as well. But here's the thing, even the prodigal son, the two brothers, okay, if it's incomplete with the prodigal son, we can't call this the prodigal of two brothers because they're not the main character. Even before the story of the prodigal son starts, there is a beginning to this parable that I want to quickly read. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them? does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, 
She calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I don't know if you caught this, but at the beginning of this, it says he told them a parable and then tells them three different stories. Parable was singular. He didn't say, let me tell you three parables. These are all meant to be read together. These three stories are one parable. And they all have a similar theme. Part of what keeps us from coming home to God is we think it's about us. We're obsessed with our own sin or our own self-righteousness. But this parable isn't teaching us about ourselves. The main character of this story is God. It is the father. It is the shepherd. It is the woman that loves and seeks after what is lost. You need to stop focusing on your own religion, your own sin and shame. And this is telling us about the heart of God for you. And what does that reveal? All of them followed a similar pattern that you see here. You notice all three stories kind of went through this cycle. Something was lost. You see the sheep, the coin, the two sons are lost. And then it moves towards this searching period. Of the woman lights the lamp, tries to find, you know, does everything she can to find the coin. The shepherd goes off to find the sheep. And this is where these other parables, I think, really open up the story of the prodigal son. Because you don't see the seeking as much with the two brothers. But what this one about the shepherd and the woman reveals is God is the one that first pursues you. If you were to just read the prodigal son, it's beautiful enough, but you'd almost think God is just waiting for you to come home. But you notice in the other beginning of this parable how the shepherd, it says he is going to look until he finds his sheep. It says the woman searched diligently. I love this quote. For Jesus' audience, repentance is the first thing. Yeah, repent and come back to God and you'll be saved. The condition that which affords the sinner the hope of grace. It is now the case that the repentance comes by grace. For Jesus, grace is the first thing, and repentance comes as a response to grace. God isn't just waiting for you. Whether you're a rebellious sinner or whether you're religious, God is hunting you down. Every day, you think if you lost a kid, that one day would go by when you don't think of that boy. Every day you're apart from God, it breaks God's heart, and God is pursuing you. Even right now, he is seeking after you, chasing you down. But here's the thing. The sheep and the coin don't have a choice. He throws the sheep on his shoulder, it comes home. The coin doesn't repent. That's what the prodigals teach us. God is waiting for you to come home. More than waiting, God is seeking after you, pursuing you but you need to repent. You have a choice. And that's what the younger brother, I think, teaches us so well, that picture of repentance. And I think a couple of things I want to point out to that. You notice he doesn't just repent that his life is crappy. That's not genuine repentance. Everybody, when they're desperate, they're mad that their life is desperate and can cry out to God. But do you notice, are you in that place where he acknowledges, I have sinned against you, Father, and against heaven? 
you're genuinely ready to have peace with the Father, if you get to that point where you say, God, it's not just, I'm not just a victim, it's me, I've jacked up. And you notice he says he didn't just come back to his home. So many people, oh, I gotta get back to church. That's not what it says. It says he got up and he came back to his Father. To repent is to finally say, I've messed up, God. I'm done living for me and for my own pleasures. I want to come back home. And home is God. It's not church. If you do that, that beautiful picture of the Father running to you, he won't reject you. And then it ends with celebration. There is rejoicing in heaven if you're ready for that. If you're finally ready to get over your sin and your self-righteousness, to get over your religion, whatever it is for you, there will be shouting and celebration in heaven at your coming home. There's nothing God desires more. So you find yourself in this story. Again, what's the context? Jesus is defending his model for ministry, and he lays it out here. If you have received God's love, Are you doing ministry like that, trying to reach other people? Do you realize even your, you know, nice neighbor who's a good guy, that dude's lost? That is a huge barrier for us reaching out, right? Man, that guy, he's wealthy, he's got a lot of toys, he must be okay. No, he's lost. Both are lost. Your neighbor who just seems like, you know, a good guy and he's trying to be religious, not smoke, not drink. No, he's lost. Do you see that? And also, are you seeking after him? I mean, are we really in our neighborhoods just waiting for our neighbors to come like, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? I heard you're a Christian. I want to know him. That's not happening. Lost things don't find themselves. You need to go to the lost. What was Jesus accused of? Eating dinner with sinners and tax collectors. Easy application for anybody. When's the last time you intentionally built relationships with those that don't know Christ and had them over for dinner? Have dinner with somebody that you know that doesn't know Christ, but we don't do that. We just sit in church in our comfortable world and hopefully they come to us. God's heart initiates. God pursues. Are you pursuing? It said she sought diligently. Are you working hard to build relationships with those that don't know Christ? Are you inviting them over for dinner? And that beautiful picture of found. If you come home, if you decide today's the day you repent of your rebellion or of your religion, God will embrace you. I've been listening to this song over and over. This is, oh, come to the altar. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The the Father's arms are open wide. If you decide you're finally ready to repent, I promise you, God will wrap his arms around you and there will be celebration in heaven. It says it is necessary that we celebrate your brother has come home. If right now I want to give us that opportunity to celebrate, Instead of just worrying about God not giving you enough of the things that you want to celebrate his heart of redemption, that we are no longer slaves to fear that God will embrace you as a son and daughter if you turn to him. And we're going to sing that. And during the song, 
We even worked in pictures of baptisms that we've had here to celebrate that because that's what God calls us to celebrate. That is the heart of God, to pursue the lost and to celebrate when they are found. Will you bow your heads and pray with me?